John's gospel talks a lot about the new, new birth, new life. Uh, John is not one to shy away from the fact that we need a completely new set of uh, views and perspectives, the ones that God gives us, not the ones that we decide that we need to pursue. That following Christ is a completely new way to live our lives. And today's passage deals with that. So we're going to look at John chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who came from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If, you, if I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you call us, that you are the one to change us, that you are the one to give us a new life. We pray that uh, we do not pursue the things of this world, that we do not pursue changes on our own, but we simply keep our gaze focused on you. That we simply look to you to guide our path and be the light, to guide us in this world, to give us direction and show us where you need us to go. In your name, amen. I need to get out of this life. I need a change. I need something different. I, I need something to be different in my life. I can't stay the same. I know a lot of us have felt that way before. Maybe some of you feel that way now, that something needs to change, that something needs to be different, whether you're in a period of where you're just like, my life is stale, or whether you feel like a lot of things are going wrong and you feel like, I, I need to do something different. And when we feel this way, when we feel like change needs to take place, there's a few different paths we might take. We might take sort of the self-improvement path. All right, I'm, I'm going to... I'm going to get healthy. I'm going to work out. I'm, uh, maybe I'm going to go back to school and learn something new. Maybe I'm going to uh, really work at my career and, and improve on my career and, and, and learn something new. Or maybe it's uh, the change path where a lot of us think, all right, if I just make a radical change in my life, my life will definitely be, be different. So I'm going to move somewhere different. I'm going to move across the country or I'm going to start a new relationship. If I get a new person in my life, my life will be different. Or some of us, like me, 
um, and also what I Googled this week when I said, I want to change my life, it was make a list. Make a task list. Make a list of goals that you want to accomplish and just one by one accomplish those goals and get that done. And that will be the thing that leads to change. And, and we, we laugh now, but a lot of us live in this environment where we constantly are trying to change and we're constantly trying to improve and we're tr constantly trying to get better. We, we want answers. We want, we, we want a list. Listen, I would love a list to just tell me 10 things to make my life better, all right? And I, I'll just follow the list. I'll just, just tell me what to do and I'll change. But what's the right answer? Because the, the, the ultimate question is, how do I live this life? How do I do this right? How do, I, how do I live the right life? How do I get better? What do I need to do in order to change? Well, let's go back to the passage. What was it for Nicodemus? Look back at verse 1. It says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. So, so right away we know that he was a ruler of the Jews. And when, when it says ruler of the Jews, it means he was probably part of the top 70 men of Israel who were the religious leaders at the time. So he was one of the top dogs in the nation where, where people would look to him for answers, that people would be the ones to go to him to say, what do I need to do to make my life better? How do I need to change? And not only was he a ruler of Israel, he was also a Pharisee. And we know from the Bible that the Pharisees were rule followers. They were really good at keeping commands. And, and for example, they, don't, they didn't even just keep the commands of God, they actually added to the commands of God. So, so in the Old Testament, God required that the people fast one day a year on the Day of Atonement, and yet the Pharisees were like, I'm going to fast multiple times a year, and I'm going to be really holy, and I'm going to be good, and I'm going to improve this way. But what is Nicodemus looking for? Because we can tell from this passage that he wanted something different, or he was ready for a change. Because look at verse 2. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi... We know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And so right away you should recognize he's pursuing Jesus at night because he doesn't want anyone to know that this conversation is taking place. Because remember, he, he is a top dog in Israel. He's, he's one of the top religious leaders, and yet now he is going to Jesus and saying, teacher, rabbi. He's saying, wait, I need you to now teach me, even though probably maybe close to 95% of the time, people are going to Nicodemus and saying, you must teach me. And so what Nicodemus is doing is the modern day version of Googling, what must I do to get better? Because Nicodemus is saying to Jesus, you have answers that I need. You need to, you need to tell me something. I, I need to do something different. I need to get better. What do I need to do? And how does Jesus answer? Look at verse three. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus's response is no doubt the same response as ours. What does that even mean? <laughs> that doesn't seem like an answer at all. Because Nicodemus, being a religious leader of the time, is ready for the same answer that most people would have expected. And actually, it's probably the same answer that most people would give for religion or for Christianity, in fact. Christianity is there for people to get better. Christianity is here so that you can become a better person. You need to get better. It's, it's actually a moral improvement program for those who really, really need help. 
will be here to guide them to become a better person. And even some churches have 10-step programs of, all right, we're going to move you from A to B to make you a better person, to make you a better, a better Christian. Or as some churches say, live your best life now. But Jesus goes further than that. Because Jesus doesn't say to Nicodemus, you need a moral improvement program. Jesus doesn't say, here's 10 steps to become a better religious leader at the time, a better Pharisee. And a, and a lot of times we actually think that Christianity is, you need to change your life. But here Jesus is saying, it's not you that needs to change your life, but you will be changed. I will be the one doing the changing. You need a completely new life. There's no doubt about it. But you need to be born again. And you need to be born again by me. And what I love is Nicodemus' response is the same as ours because our temptation is to say, okay, so how do I do that? <laughs> right? So tell me, tell me what I need to do to make that happen. Because verse 4, he says, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And, and, and he's once again highlighting, it has to be on me, right? I have to be the one to do something. You can't just say, I need to, all right, so I need to be born again. What, what does that mean? How do I do it? But Jesus doubles down. He says, it's not about change, but being born again. And the truth that Jesus is bringing us to, in order to be born again, it needs to be the work of God. It needs to be regeneration of our hearts. And, and we can use the two illustrations that we see here in this passage. First, I might be wrong, but I don't think any of us gave birth to ourselves. All right? That, that was done for us and to us, right? There was no way that we gave birth to ourselves. And that's the same with our faith. That's the same with how Jesus works. None of us are able to say, I found Jesus. I was the one who discovered Jesus in my life. I was the one who, who rescued myself. I was the one who was born again. No, we are to say, Jesus captured my heart. Jesus is the one who changed me. Changed me. Jesus is the one who gave me a new birth. And to be born again is actually the work of God's spirit where we are given a new nature, where we are given a new heart, where we are regenerated. Jesus is the one to change our hearts, not us. And, and it actually moves to us having our entire identity, our entire lives be the life and identity of Christ. Because look at verse 8. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. It's, it's as if you, you can picture yourself out on a fall day in which you're, you're looking around and, you, and you, you don't see the wind, but you see the effects of the wind. You see the trees and the leaves rustling and you say, there's, there's wind around, I can't see it, but I know it's around me. And then at some point you're just standing there and you don't see it coming, but the wind hits your face and you feel it. And this is the same with the Spirit of God. That, that you can be in this church, you can be in this environment, you can actually be in a, in a place where you can see the effects of God, where you say, there's something more going on here. There's something bigger happening. And if you are around that environment, if you are, if you are in the word of God, you might not see it right away, you, but you can, you can recognize that something bigger is going on, 
and eventually you can be hit by the Spirit. You can be hit by the wind of the Spirit where you can say, I always knew it was around, but now I feel it. Now there's something different in my life. Now there's something different going on. And I know the temptation is to say, you gotta give me something. <laughs> this, this isn't enough. You, I, I can't just stand here waiting for God to act. I need to do something or, or give, me, give me something to hold fast to. Jesus knows that's, a, that's the temptation of Nicodemus as well. So he does give us a little bit of a reprieve. Look at verse 14 and 15. As Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And so we have to review this story of Moses. And, and the story of Moses goes like this, is that the people of God sinned against God. They complain, they say, God is against us, God is evil, God is wicked, and God sends his punishment in the desert of snakes for their sin. And the snakes begin to bite the people and the people begin to get sick and die. And they call out to God in mercy and say, God, have mercy on us. And God says to Moses, I want you to build a bronze uh, serpent and put it on a pole and lift the pole up. And if the people look to the pole, if the people look to the bronze ser serpent, they will be forgiven and the, the snakes will no longer bite them and they will be healed. And if you picture yourself in that moment, the temptation is to not look at the bronze serpent, right? The temptation is to look at all the serpents around you and, and maybe on your own move and sidestep and, and avoid the serpents. Or maybe it is to look at all the effects of sin around you and look at all the people around you and see what's happening to them. But the call is to look to the serpent to be healed. And what does Jesus say? Not only did that happen to the people of Israel, but that will happen for everyone where they are to look to me hanging on a cross for forgiveness of their sins. And see, a lot of us in our temptation, even in our walks with God, our temptation is to look around at everything else that is going around us, is to maybe look at sins that are taking place around us and, and try to avoid them or try to, to make sure that they don't affect our lives. Or maybe our temptation is to look at everyone else around us and see what's happening to them, see what the sin is happening in the world, see what's taking place in the world and say, I need to change it or I need to correct it or I need to fix it. And yet what is the call of God? Is to pray to the Lord for forgiveness and to trust in him more than ourselves. To simply look to Jesus, to look to the one hanging on the cross and let that be our guide. Let that be our life. Jesus is calling us to a life where we look to him and nothing else around us. That he will be our God, he will be our direction, he will be our path. And it's, and it's very similar to, you know, student drivers when they're first starting to drive. You know, the, the direction that the instructors give them is, look where you're headed. Look, look to the destination, look where you're going. And the temptation of the student driver is to look at the tree and then they start veering towards the tree. And it's like, no, 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 you gotta look forward. You gotta look down, you gotta look where you're headed. And then they see a car accident on the side of the road and then they start veering towards, no, 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 you gotta look forward. That's the same with Jesus, what he's calling us to. He's saying, look forward, look to where you're headed, look to the destination. Don't look to the things around you. And here's the thing is, is when, when you get good at driving, you might be the one driving and you will get from point A to point B. And your pastor might say, 
hey, did you see that crazy house with, you know, the tie-dye coloring? And you passed it. It was a part of your life. But you say, no, I was just looking at the destination. It happened to me. It was a part of my life, but I just got to where I was supposed to be going. And this is the same with our lives. If we look to Jesus, if we have him be our destination, things are going to happen in our lives. Things are going to take place. But ultimately, what we will be focused on is the right thing. And we will get to our destination. We will get to our goal. We will get to our hope. And, and what's amazing about this is focused on Jesus, it is not a moral improvement program. But you will improve. We as Christians and believers are able to say, listen, I had a foul mouth, <laughs> or I was a gossip, or I did really bad things. And yet by focusing on Jesus, I got to this place where that no longer comes out of my mouth and I couldn't even believe I said it before. And there will be people in your life who say, so, so you worked on, on your language, right? You, you worked really hard on this. And you'll say, no, I just focused on Jesus. It wasn't a 10-step program. It wasn't an improvement program that made me get from point A to point B. It was just me focused on Jesus. And you will do big things. You will do things where, where people will look and look at your family and say, how can you do this? I could never do this. How could you, how could you act this way? How can, how can you open your home like this? And you get to say, oh, it wasn't a 10-step program that got me to here. It was simply following Jesus. And so the call in our lives is to simply say, what is my life? What is my purpose? How have I been born again? My life is Jesus, the one who hung on the cross for my sins. And so what will our paths be? We don't know for sure. We don't know where God's going to lead us. But story after story will flow from our lives where we can say, he has guided us, he has protected us, he has pointed us in the right direction, and we have simply been following him. And that's the way that Nicodemus' story ends, with doing something that no one would see coming. Because turn to John 19. John 19, 38 through 40. And this is how Nicodemus' story ends. After these things, Joseph of Arthemia, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secret, secretly for the fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloth with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. When Nicodemus first met Jesus, he didn't plan on burying Jesus. It wasn't that Jesus came to him and said, okay, what you're going to do is you're going to hang out with me for a few years, and then you're going to be the one to bury me. Jesus didn't give him a moral improvement program. Jesus didn't give him a task list. And yet, what is Nicodemus doing right here? Nicodemus's life was a new life. He had been reborn, and he did something incredibly personal and loving and caring for the one who saved his life. Even though at one point he secretly 
met with Jesus. Now he's going to be the one to bury Jesus. And today we all got to experience and see of a display of a life focused on Jesus. Because here's the thing, none of you two years ago knew that we were going to be witness and make a vow of a baptism of a girl who had been adopted into the family of God at Faith Presbyterian Church, who we commit to love and cherish and to raise her in the faith, knowing that her only salvation is through this Savior Jesus. That we would all commit to assisting in raising her in this faith. And none of us knew that we would be a part of a church family where we currently have five families either currently or in the process of becoming foster parents. That didn't take place because we said, we're going to improve as a church. That didn't take place because we said, we're going to make some big changes here. That didn't take place because we said, we're going to have a list of 10 goals, and one of the goals is to have a bunch of foster families here. No, it took place because we have been following Jesus. Because we have said, that is just going to be my path. And whatever is on that path, I'm going to follow Jesus. And what's wonderful is we all get together and say, maybe my home is not going to be a home where we have physical children be a part of it, but we are going to be a home where we support others who do. We are going to be a church that supports each other and loves each other, not because it's a part of the task list, but because that's what Jesus calls us to. We get to see the results of God's work. Not my work, not your work, not my improvement, not your improvement, but simply because our focus has been on our new lives and our path has brought us here now and will continue to move us and grow us. And if we continue to set our eyes on Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith, as he is lifted up on the cross, we will be able to do wonderful and great things and changes will take place, not because of we chose it, but because God did. So if you're in this environment where you say, I need a new life, <laughs> I need a change, something different needs to happen, or you know someone who is, wait for the spirit to move. Be around it, be in this environment, read the scriptures, look to where God is and you will be hit by the spirit. And if you know that you've been born again, if you know that you are, are part of God's family, then continue to look to it as the source of your life. The one who hung on the cross, he will be the guide to your path and your life. And big changes will come and story after story will flow from your life of things that you have done, not because you chose to do it, but because God called you to it. Let us pray. Dear God, we recognize that it's not easy to change because typically it's done by our power. Typically we set out and say, this is the thing that I'm going to accomplish. But that is not the call of our lives. The call of our lives is to follow you and focus on you and see where you are leading us. We recognize that our lives are not our own, that we have been born again by your spirit and we pray we remember that and reflect on that day in and day out. My life is not my own, but it has been bought at a price. And that price has been paid by you. And we can now live as sons and daughters of the King. In your name, amen.
As we come to the Lord's table, we are reminded that this is an ordinance of Christ, much like the baptism. Luke 22 says, And when the hour had come, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. This table is done in remembrance of Christ. We partake to be strengthened in our fight against sin to be encouraged in our walks of faith in which our guide and our light is Christ alone. And we are to have the hope and comfort of eternal life, having a life that we are gonna to spend together for all eternity. Communion is for the followers of Christ. So if you have professed faith in Jesus Christ, if you have repented of your sins, if you are in good standing of this church or another evangelical church, then this table is for you. However, if you, if you are not a Christian, or if you have not publicly pro professed your faith, then let me encourage you to look for the signs of the Spirit, to pray to God, to ask Him to come into your life, to say, God, I, I need you to change my heart. It is not something I do on my own. If, if you want to participate, especially if you are a child, then let me encourage you, don't participate today. But come speak with me or, or Pastor Kevin or one of the elders afterwards, and we'd love to encourage you in your walk with the Lord. So let us pray. God, we are so thankful for this table. This is once again one of those aspects of our faith in which we didn't do this. <laughs> this is not because we changed enough that we are invited to this table. It is not because we are good enough that we are able to partake. It is simply because of the work of your Son that we are able to look to and say, wait, because Jesus died for my sins, I now have a place at the table. I am now an adopted son and daughter of the King, whom you love, and with, you, you, with us you are well pleased. You are just, we are just so grateful for the sacrifice of the Savior, for the fact that you saved us in spite of all our sins, and you have forgiven us and allowed us to come and become a part of the family of God together as one church. In your name, amen.